Welcome, everyone, to the NCAA Social Series, Episode 34. I'm Andy Katz. We're focusing on the NCAA Woman of the Year Virtual Awards for 2020. Pleased to be joined by Suzette McQueen, who comes from the CIAA. She's the Senior Associate Commissioner for External Relations and Strategic Partnerships and an NCAA Women of the Year Selection Committee Chair. Denise Udelhoffen from Loris College Athletics Director, uh, also an NCAA Committee on Women's Athletics Chair, and last year's winner, Angela Mercurio, former Nebraska triple jumper and a 2019, as I mentioned, NCAA Women of the Year, uh, a biochem and women's gender studies major. Uh, so I want to start there because your resume is incredibly impressive. Uh, first off, what are you doing now? I'm currently a first-year medical student at Harvard Medical School. So I'm living out in Boston right now. Well, obviously, we're focusing on this. And your life and your story is incredi incredible. And what you overcame uh, with your diagnosis as a senior in high school, uh, overcoming a tumor diagnosis and becoming uh, an elite uh, track and field uh, athlete, and then going on to be successful academically. Uh, first, before we get to the history of this award, I just want to know, first off, what this award meant to you. Yeah, so to start off, it was definitely a surprise. Um, after getting to know the other nominees that, that were up for the award and seeing what they had accomplished, what they had lined up for their future, I was just so inspired. I was honestly just happy to be there, happy to be in their cohort happy to be considered with the women who've won this award over the past um, couple decades at that point. Um, and yeah, so I was not expecting to win. Um, and I was looking around at the other girls like, no, she's gonna win, she's gonna win, she's gonna win. I didn't prepare speech, anything like that. Um, so yeah, first feeling was definitely shock. But after I reflected on it a little more, um, it was definitely a much deeper experience. Uh, I think when you're, when you're an athlete on that level, it's not like you just, you know, rolled out of bed at 18 and decided to try your sport. It was for me, it was at nine years old when I was like, okay, I enjoy running. I enjoy the sport. And then in middle school feeling like, okay, I want to get an education and track is a way to do that. And then high school continuing to make sacrifices and work hard and track and in the classroom and miss out on time with my friends and other fun things. And then further into college, more sacrifice, more long, 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 long days of, of work and studying and being in the community and all of those other things. Um, so to win the NCAA Women of the Year Award to me was uh, validation almost. Like everything I had done over all the years since nine years old, it meant something and I was being recognized for all of that work. Um, so it was, it was that validation and it was also this motivation to keep pushing on and to continue with the hard work and, and everything that I was doing. Um, beyond that, it was really important to me to be able to represent Nebraska on that stage and showcase how much they had supported me and all other student athletes because, I mean, if they hadn't made sure we ate three times a day, who knows if I would have been able to, you know, keep pushing my body to that limit. So, and also my coach because he was extremely flexible and enabled me to balance everything else with track and that's something I'll be eternally grateful for. Yeah, and as we get ready to crown uh, the next winner, uh, the 30 honorees, the nine finalists, the winner, uh, you check the resumes and they're incredibly impressive. Um, 
Suzette, I'll start with you, then Denise. Uh, first, Suzette, uh, you know, listening to what this award means to, to Angela, uh, how she epitomizes uh, the values of this award that started um, 30 years ago in 1991. Uh, how does it make you feel being a part of this when you hear the passion and you know everything that you work for and the culmination of getting an award like this and what it means to you? Well, I just wanted to say hello to Angela and thank you everyone for letting me be here today. Uh, and Denise, hi. Um, you deserved it. I mean, it was a very tough decision last year. It was a very tough decision this year. I, I was a student athlete many, many moons ago, and I know I would not have been in the same category. I mean, the, the, the amount of work that goes into being a complete academic, athletic, leadership, community service, I mean, that takes a huge commitment, and I congratulate you and all the honorees from this year. It really is, and it makes our job very tough, too, because we have a lot of great candidates and, and, to, and to get down to the nitty gritty of just one little thing that makes someone stand out above someone else doesn't negate all the wonderful things that they did, but you do have to ultimately pick one person. And it was very difficult to do that. But uh, all the honorees were, were definitely amazing and inspirational and very impressive. Denise? I, you know, took along with Suzette, you know, it, it's a, a committee effort. Um, and you know, she talked about the nitty gritty. When you're talking about these kind of student athletes, they're fantastic across the board. You know, and we really look at um, personal statements. You know, is there something that they had to overcome or something that they had to do to make to be a student athlete in four years and be successful? Um, I will say and echo also is that when you read these resumes, some you you look back and you're like, what did I do with my life? Because what they're doing is like blowing us out of the water. So it's so impressive what they what they do and and that they do it, and we know how hard it is to be a student athlete, but to put all that community service and all the things, other things, extra things that they do to go in to be Women of the Year is just, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's awesome. You know, one thing that really struck me in looking at some of these past bios and, and the current bios um, is how many are related to the medical field, whether it's even kinesiology, which is obviously the physical aspect, or the biochem, or biology, or, and I'm just curious, you know, and if, if all of you could, could sort of comment on this, I'll start with you, Angela. Um, is that just a coincidence, or, or, or why is that that so many of these women, these elite athletes, are somehow tied in some form or fashion to the medical field? Yeah, I don't know if I have like a for sure answer, but my first thought is that it's a little self-selecting in that the process through medicine is a very long, hard road with a lot of sacrifices to be made um, and a lot of hours put in. And that's very similar to the road through being a student athlete. Um, so I think, you know, you have those personality traits that you develop through your time as an NCAA student athlete. And then you continue to refine and use those same skills through medical school and through medical training and through all those things. So I think in that way, it's self-selecting, but I also would say like in my biased opinion of all the wonderful teammates I've had is that like they truly care about people and that that act of service and that compassion um, that we have for each other and for the world we live in, um, I think shows through medicine as well. That, then Denise? I would say I'm thinking back to um, past years, you know, other resumes that we read and sometimes it's usually something an experience that they had. They got hurt during high school or college and they've had to go through physical therapy. They've had to work with, you know, various doctors. 
And sometimes that's what triggers or sparks their interest in that type of um, profession. Yeah, I would agree with Denise on that one. I, I think that uh, being around the athletes and physical fitness and all the things that it takes to be successful at that high level, it, it, it self-selects for folks that are interested in being around other athletes and other forms of uh, medicine and health and wellness. So I think that I agree with Denise. All right, so let's go back to 91 uh, and the creation of this award. Uh, Suzette, I'll start with you. Um, if you can go back to that era of where we were uh, as an NCA organization, an athletic community, uh, sort of awakening and recognizing the great accomplishments of women, which would have been less than 20 years or right around 20 years from Title IX. So, I mean, just a little shy of that, I guess. Uh, what, what went into the thinking from, you know, historically about, okay, let's make sure we start this award at this point. Well, I know Angela wasn't even a, blink, a twinkle in anyone's eye, but for me, that was my prime time. I was in college in, in 91. And, you know, I've been, you know, with Title IX had been established, women were participating, they were making their mark. And this award, just as a, it came about at the right time in the sense that it was time to start recognizing the accomplishments of women. There were tons of awards for lots of different things that men were doing, but the fact that the NCAA decided to create an award that specifically targets not only athletic excellence, but also academics, leadership skills over your cumulative career, not just a single year, but what, this, what these women have done for four years in, at their institution. So it came about at the right time. Unfortunately, I missed it. It was a little, I was a little too soon, but I, I think that um, it's an amazing opportunity to not only recognize a woman of the year, but, but it's divisional. All three divisions are included in this award. So a division three athlete, has the same opportunity to win this award as a division one athlete. And I think it's an amazing opportunity to celebrate all women across all divisions, across all sports throughout the NCAA. Denise? I would, I would add to that. And that was one thing that I was gonna, I mean, to me that it's across all three divisions and then you read all the different, um, you know, accolades that they have and um, accomplishments that they've done. And a lot of things that stick out to me, especially some of them that your student athlete, but they're going, um, they're studying abroad. They're going, you know, during the summer, I mean, you know, when they have time off, they're doing something usually with community service. And so to me, it's just that women get that opportunity and that we are recognizing them for all of their accomplishments. I just think um, it's good for women and it's good to have them, you know, we'd like to give everybody an award that applies. And I mean, that would be over 600 awards, I think. <laughs> and so a year, uh, but it's just, I think for women, this is, this is important. We need this. Women need this. Oh, Suzette, to that point, um, division one, two, and three, there are times when they are like completely different worlds, mm -hmm. <clears throat> obviously funding, uh, access to medical care, you know, all down the line. Uh, what went into that thought process of one award versus, because I don't even know how you would decide that because there's so many different you know, athletes that you could go with at different levels, but to choose one among mm -hmm. all three divisions, how, how was that decided? Well, I think the, the great thing about the way the award is set up is that you're guaranteed to have representation when you get to the final, the final decision. So we, we, we go from, as, as Denise mentioned, 605 applicants to, I think there were 160-odd conference honorees. And then from that, we pick a top 30. And of that top 30, 10 have to be from each division. 
So you're already guaranteeing representation. And then we, we narrow it down to a top nine, three from each division. So then when you're looking at that one person for the year, you have a great representation across all three divisions. And it really helps to make sure that there are opportunities for, for women at all in any institution to be recognized for their accomplishments. That's what I love about the award is that it recognizes the top 30 and it celebrates them on a national stage. And the same thing with the top nine gets celebrated and then your final candidate. And the way it's set up, it just it really ensures that the right candidates are, are receiving the recognition each year. And ultimately, the, you know, the full committee on women's athletics has to decide the one person. Once, once our subcommittee has got that nine in place, um, we turn it over and let them decide. But it's a tough decision. And historically, there have been representation across all three divisions, so which is great. You know, Denise, about this, that there's no wrong answer here. I mean, once you get to the finalists, you know, it's not like the MVP of the WNBA or the NBA or something. We can look at the numbers, what they accomplish, and say, okay, that's your MVP. Um, you know, you really, and I know it'd be difficult to not be the winner versus the other eight, but at the same time, um, when you look at this pool, uh, how much do you say, you know what, all of them could win, and unfortunately, we have to just pick one. I think we say that, and Suzette can, I think we say that every time that, you know, I've done this last three or four years, I think every year, it's like, okay, I mean, there's no bad choice. And so that's nice. Um, but I can tell you that it takes, it takes hours. This isn't like a 15 minute discussion and then, you know, decide the winner. It takes us um, usually a meeting, we take a break and then we come back. Um, another thing, you know, it's across all three divisions, but the, the amount of all the different sports that we see, you know, we might see rugby, um, bowling, track and field, swimming, I mean, to that, to me, that's unique in that not all, you know, Division One, Two, II, and Three, not all of us have all those sports. And so sometimes when you see what they've gone through and what they're, what the seasons that they do, I think that's unique too. It's just, you're really looking at the whole individual and what, you know, what the packages they bring. So Angela, I mean, I know your story was well documented a year ago, but people have short memories. So I just want to peel back if we can just for a moment here and go back first to that first diagnosis that you got in your senior year in high school. At, at that point, um, how much did you think any athletic career could potentially be over uh, before ultimately you, you ended up being this elite uh, athlete and triple jumper at Nebraska? Yeah, I think at first I was, well, it, it was a tumor in my knee. So I was seeing an oncologist, which was scary in itself. And that kind of fear of, you know, is this cancer? Like, is this, am I getting, like, do I have a chronic illness? Kind of that idea. Um, and will I ever be able to do track again? And at that point, my whole identity was wrapped up in track and in being an athlete. Like I said, since I was nine years old, that was just how I viewed myself. So um, you couple that with, I got my diagnosis two weeks before I was supposed to go to Nebraska on the scholarship I had worked for for six years, like really worked really hard just for this. And um, I'm being told, oh, well, you're never going to do track again. You might not walk right here. So yeah, in that exact moment, I I can't really even say how I felt, but just, I don't know what my life is going to be from here on out. Um, but thankfully, and I don't know where it came from, there was a little bit of hope in there. Like, okay, maybe this isn't the final diagnosis. Maybe this isn't like the final word. And I was eventually ultimately able to meet another surgeon who, you know, gave me a different diagnosis and I got back on the track within three months, which is vastly different than never again. So 
I think in that, um, it, it did come down to that, that aspect of hope and believing like, okay, there's another option and like, this is what I want to do and this is what like, I hopefully will be able to do if I find another method. Uh, Angela, one thing that I hope that we still have in a post-pandemic world is the ability to have these global citizen athletes because that's what you are as well. With Canadian roots, you spent time in India, uh, Nebraska. Um, you know, I'm just curious how much as a global citizen did that help shape you? Yeah, I think that is a huge part of who I am as a person. And I think it does start with being Canadian where I grew up um, having a lot of friends from all over the world. My dad and my oldest siblings being from Jamaica. Um, I think it, it played a huge role in just this understanding of the fundamental differences between all of us, but that that is, that's just what it is. It's not a problem. It's not like something we need to try to, I mean, often we do find we have to have the tough conversations to figure out those differences, but it is that that is how we are. And that's what makes this place so beautiful. And that is what makes this place interesting and fun and makes it, it cool to meet new people and, and travel and go around the world and have new experiences. So I think that's a huge part of who I am. Um, and and I think it has also played a role in, in me wanting to pursue medicine as well and, and have this opportunity to take care of all different types of people. Yeah, if, if you guys can pick up on that, uh, Suzette and Denise, about that aspect and, you know, and look at the bios, some of these athletes have done things similar to that as well. Uh, I hope, as I said, you know, as we look forward to candidates that when we get on the other side of this, that people will be able to travel the world and help people around the world to, to enhance their own you know, uh, uh, just everything about their whole uh, complete person uh, as they move forward. But uh, how, how much of a factor is that when you see someone you know, who's done the kinds of things that Angela had did uh, and to, you know, really across the globe? It's very impressive, uh, you know, and, and kudos to the coaches and institutions that support athletes for global travel. It's very difficult to try to be away for a semester and still train and come back and pick up where you left off. So the, so the support that they have from the institutions is huge. But it does make a difference to see that someone is willing to step outside their comfort zone, to try new things, to take on more challenges. I mean, we have candidates who started organizations, who are leaders in their community, who are going overseas and volunteering their time and energy. So that definitely comes into play when we read the personal statements and see all the activities that the women are involved in. It's quite impressive. I think also it adds to the diversity of the of the pool. I mean, where they come from, different areas that they come from. And I would agree with Suzette that the things when they travel, that you know, that is something that they have to step out of their box because nobody, you know, we have some that are from small towns that do this and some that, you know, had, you know, more global experiences. But when they're able to do that, um, it's just, I think it just helps them overall. And, you know, what we really want in athletic, college athletics, and it, you know, we want to make somebody better from the first year they step on, first day they step on campus to when they leave. This award, I mean, validates everything that we do in athletics when it's, when it's more than what's going on on the field, the court, the pitch, the, you know, we're, we're making them better people and we're making them contributing um, citizens to society. I, I love that point, Angela, and I'm curious just to pick up on that. How critical it is is it um, for you know female student athletes that are now coming behind you um, to get out of that bubble, uh, get out of that comfort zone, and put yourself in an uncomfortable situation to see how you react and to see how you grow? 
Yeah, um, I take that that question to mean like, how can you maximize your opportunity that you're given? Like as an NCAA student athlete, like yes, you your primary motivation there it was probably first athletics, and then it was like, okay, I want my education. There's the academics, but how do you branch off into those other two areas, the community service, the leadership, and um, there's like this analogy that I've thought of many times in my own life is like after a track competition, I wanted to be able to look myself in the mirror and say like, okay, you gave everything you could um, and the outcome is how it is because you gave it your all. But I also want to be able to say that about my life too and like to be able to say, okay, after I left Nebraska, I gave it everything I could in my life in general and I got everything I could out of that campus, out of that city, out of my community of friends and people around me. and um, I think that is what I would say to to the, the young women coming up beneath me is, you know, maximize your opportunities so that you and you look back and you've graduated and you've completed this time. Like, did you make the absolute most out of all of the blessings you were given to be in that place? Um, and I think you can do that when you step outside of your comfort zone and when you say, okay, how can I give back to this community that I have this privilege to live in? And how can I be the best friend that I can be and the best teammate? and um, the best leader on my campus and all of these things and and strive for that greatness that you strive for in your sport in all of these other areas. I think that is when you, you know, you push yourself to to be the best person that you can be. And I would say that as a, as a parent as well, and I don't want to trash the, the AUC for uh, girls and boys, but um, I think this is a great example that uh, parents take the pause button um, you know, when you see these travel teams going all over the country, and that's all they live for is whether it's travel softball, travel baseball, basketball, you name it, male or female. Um, but that's not everything. You know, they, they have to obviously be much more of a well-rounded person, just as a human being, uh, even get that scholarship and to enhance who you are as a person beyond athletics. I think this is a great example, and Angela is the perfect example to show just being the whole person is more important than literally every weekend and every week, all you're doing is competing for, you know, these tournaments to ultimately get some sort of scholarship. I, that's what I believe. I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, start with you, Denise. Well, I think um, when you listen to Angela speak, how can you not get excited and just be like, she's she's fabulous and you know we we see these other resumes that are the same thing and just I mean they're doing it the right way and it's not just about um wins or losses it's about how she's going to be a leader you know now in in the medical field and it's just it's awe-inspiring to me like you listen to them and you're just like this is this is why we do this because of Angela yeah I, I would agree with that I mean the way the award is set up it, it's it's equal parts. So there's 30% for your academics, 30% for your uh, athletics, and 30% for community leadership, and then your personal statement makes up the balance. So we've had candidates that are all Americans, and we've had candidates that have um, had 4.0s. But when you put it all together, our candidate has all of those characteristics. And Angela is a perfect example of someone who has a complete package. She's the she's the complete package, and and the candidates that we see this year, the ones we saw last year, that's why it makes it very difficult. We get down to the point where you literally are just deciding uh, small little differences uh, with the women, but they all have got there because they are complete packages. They are well balanced. They're doing it in a community. They're doing it on the field of play. 
and in the classroom. And so congratulations to Angela again, and then also for this year's honorees. Well, I appreciate Denise and Suzette. And Angela, I just want you to have the last word because uh, for student athletes that are out there watching uh, in advance of this award, um, you know, this is an unprecedented time. You're in the medical field, you're at Harvard where they're online, uh, the predominant, you know, majority of students there and a lot of places around the country. And we've talked about this a lot on our social series and we worry about the mental health aspect uh, for a lot of these athletes, if they A, you know, have to be in isolation or quarantine or their whole lives are disrupted, their normalcy is no more, you know, hopefully it'll come back in the spring, summer. Um, but just what would be your advice of, of weathering this storm of getting through, um, you know, this incredibly difficult time when so much of what you're used to has been altered? Yeah, I think one, my heart goes out to all the athletes right now because I mean, I'm retired, but I can only imagine how hard it would be to, you know, not be able to train as how you want to train and, you know, be confined to your house at times when you just want to be with your team and other things like that. So my heart goes out to all of you for sure. Um, and my advice would, would honestly be like, take advantage of this time. Like, even though it's not in your plan, it's probably not in plan A, B, or C, um, you can use this time to find out what else there is, you know, about you that you love. What do you love outside of your sport? Do you like to paint? Do you like to write? Do you like to sing? Do you, is, do you have you wanted to learn how to play guitar? Find these other things that you love and that, you know, give you that same sense of purpose and that same sense of joy that your sport gives you because like ultimately sport is not forever. That's, that's the one point. Um, and, and hopefully you go on to be professional or you stay in the sports realm in some other like uh, professional capacity. But if not, there, there is other things that you're gonna have to do. So I think taking this time to, to work on these other avenues and explore other avenues while you can, um, can make it a little more bearable. Wow, I'll tell you, Denise, this is a, what an unbelievable massacre for the NCAA Women's of the Year, Women of the Year Award for 2019. Uh, Angela Mercurio, unbelievable. Uh, you're a star, and I know that uh, great things are to come for you, certainly in the future. Uh, appreciate all of you, and thanks to everyone. And as always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series, where all our social series are archived, all 34 episodes.